to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com hey slutty scholars thank you for tuning in for another awesome season of sluts and scholars i am beyond grateful for your listens your love and your support i'll be taking my usual summer months off and we'll be back to new episodes at the end of august in the meantime i would so love and appreciate any ratings or reviews you are willing to give wherever you listen to the podcast but before i wrap this up one more infusion of ads and discounts for your slutty summer fun if you're into hair trimming or removal then you're going to want to check out Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code S&S at manscaped.com. Don't let the name fool you. It's for any genitals. If you're like me and you don't love shaving or you cut yourself too many times, like me at gymnastics camp when I was 13, consider investing in some Manscaped products. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation performance package too, which includes the Lawnmower 4.0, Uh, It also includes the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, the Crop Preserver Genital Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag to Hold Your Goodies. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. Fingers crossed I have not cut myself yet. It's waterproof and has a light so you can see what you're doing down there in the depths of your bits. I love it, and it's super fast when I don't feel like putting in a lot of work, which is usually, but want a little trim. So get that 20% off and free shipping with the code S&S at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code S&S at manscaped.com. Stay fresh this summer and shine with Manscaped. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I'm excited to welcome back uh, the newly published author, Lucy Fielding. Uh, They're a white, queer, non-binary femme and a resident in counseling practice in Charlottesville, Virginia. She received her master's in counseling psychology at Pacifica Graduate Institute. Lucy also holds a PhD in French from Northwestern University, where she specialized in 18th century literature, histories of sex sexuality, and erotic literature. Her background in literature and history attunes her to the many ways that image, metaphor, and cultural scripts shape and inform the narratives we carry with us as we move through the world, as well as how these narratives inscribe themselves in our bodies. She is the author of Trans Sex, Clinical Approaches to Trans Sexualities and Erotic Embodiments, which she was in process of writing um, last time she was on. Welcome, Lucy. Thank you so much for having me back. This is, uh, you were my first podcast interview back in, I think, summer of 2019. And uh, so like, I'm, I'm so excited to be back. This is great. Well, you've been on some amazing podcasts since then. So I'm honored that I was the, that we were the first. What's changed for you since then? Well, I mean, the, the book, obviously, and finishing that I finished it about a year after. Um, so like half of it was written before the pandemic. And then this, then another half was written during the pandemic, which, you know, was such a strange feeling to be able to, you know, it's like this, like, how do you hold all of the collective trauma that is going on? And at the same time, like, I'm writing about pleasure and embodiment when that is sometimes the furthest thing from some folks' minds. Um, for so others, was it like a was it a welcome distraction to lean into that, or was it hard to get in the headspace? I, I think it was it was initially hard. Um, I, I'll tell you, part of my process was, you know, spending about like two months, two and a half months just kind of like not okay and really not understanding like how am I going to be a therapist during this how am I Mm. how am I going to hold things with folks and then you know I started reading books written by activists in the 80s and and early 90s 
at, at the height of the uh, HIV AIDS epidemic in the United States. And, and that really pointed me to both a, a, a sense of lineage, uh, a sense of, um, of, a, of a past um, that I could draw from to create and dream a different future, imagine into a different future. Because I think one thing that the current pandemic and the pandemic that that is and was the HIV epidemic is is this shared sense of like connection and touch being so risky, so precarious, um, and and also the sense of like governments that just don't give a fuck about us, you know, and like they're and so what do we have to do? We care for our communities. We turn and we 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 figure out using our ingeniousness, you know, drawing upon intergenerational wisdom, we figure out how we care for one another, care with one another, um, and how we engage in community care and not just self-care. Um, and I think that that was, that was how I, I think I was able to write the second half and where I found the beating heart of the book, incidentally. So, I, w- I wouldn't wish the experience on anyone, but, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, uh, you know, it, it certainly, it helped me find my way. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And I, we're going to talk about this a little more later, but I loved what you said about the like intergenerational, like community support. Um, because that's obviously, sometimes we can have intergenerational trauma, um, oftentimes we can, but also I think anyone in any sort of minority sexuality position, this like intergenerational paving of the way and support is is essential in community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that that's so important to remember, you know, is there's there is the intergenerational trauma, the historical trauma piece. And, you know, certainly that is something as a, as a Jewish femme, I, I carry in my body as, you know, um, ancestors who, um, who experienced Holocaust, who experienced, who experienced diaspora first and foremost, and, um, and inquisition, um, constant movement and displacement. And so like, um, that is very real. And also, so is the resilience and and I think the wisdom is part of that resilience that that gets transmitted, I think through similar mechanisms as as intergenerational trauma. It's it's yeah. the um, it's the guide through it um, because ultimately we can rely on community and and past community to draw strength in the midst of in the midst of struggle in the midst of heartache in the midst of pain and and find reach towards pleasure reach towards connection um touch being and being with yeah and we i know we talked about this in your first interview so i I encourage folks to go back and take a listen to hear the the full process um but you've used this word a couple times that embodiments are embodied um how do you define erotic embodiment sure so embodiment is really um there's two facets to it there's one there's the idea of embodiment as i am located within a body that um i that that is heaving, that is breathing, that is constantly engaging in various processes to keep me alive and um, moving in various ways. And so like I have the experience of, um, you know, gut feelings and, you know, or sensation. um, And that is located specifically in my body. That's one form of embodiment. The second form is, is when we think of like, we embody virtues or we embody um, ideals or we embody a cultural script. Um, when a, when narratives, stories, images, metaphors intersect with, bombard um, our, um, our bodies. And, um, and so 
that's another form of embodiment. So to speak of erotic embodiment is to speak in terms of the various ways that we have bodies and that our bodies are um, are in conversation with other bodies and with um, and with the cultures in which we move. And that, and I use erotic very specifically to to signal that it's not just about you know um, sex narrowly defined or as a, as an experience. It's also about eros writ large. It's about it's about sensuality. It's about play and sex. It's sex in the most broad terms possible, not just PIV or PIA or oral sex or um, you know anything or manual sex. It's about it's about leather sex. It's about queer sex. It's about it, it's about trans sex and how um, and the many ways that our bodies can experience pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think a, a common theme that I've heard from my trans mm-hmm. and non-binary clients along their gender journey is that they feel like an alien, that they feel like an alien in their own, like they don't feel like it's their body. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't know, that really struck me when you were talking about like being in your body that's working and doing all this stuff for you, but for some feeling like it's not, like there's something off, it's not right. Yeah. And we label that dysphoria in, in, a, in a clinical sense. And I want to think of it as both like an internal process, um, that sense of like, Sue, something's not right, but also an external process that's happening and bombarding with our bodies. So that second sense of embodying. And, and it's this feeling of somebody is trying to hang something on me that does not fit me, that doesn't feel good on me. And um, they're trying to tell stories about my body, about pleasure, about, uh, about sex, about gender, about sexualities, and doesn't fit. And so that's that sense of, I, I think that sense of alienation for so many of us, you know, is, is, um, and that is this moment to really, um, I think to come to, okay, um, who should is that? Can we, you know, whose story is that that's been told about me and about my body and about my sexuality and how can I create different stories and, you know, sometimes what's required there is, is, you know, a sense of containment, a sense of holding um, within that process that, you know, that, that therapy does that in some senses, um, you know, um, uh, kink and play can do that sense of just like, I am, I am held in this process. And then I become my own container after a while so that I can um, I know that I can trust my body. I'm in here. Um, and I get to tell my own stories about my body. Yeah. That like hanging of the narrative on others makes me think of a part of your book where you talk about the politics of desirability. Um, what are the politics of desirability and, and why is that important here? So first of all, I'm, I'm indebted to, um, a lot of, uh, femmes of color who, um, like Hunter Shackelford and Caleb Luna and um, and Hari Ziad, who that's have, always the case in anything in our in our field. It's like to the to the people of color, to the trans yeah. folks of color, like who did all of the work. Well, and you know, and it's yeah, exactly, um, and um, you know, and, and Adrian Marie Brown, you know, uh, uh, in pleasure activism, they point to this idea that like we generally think of desire attraction as this very idiosyncratic subjective thing like i like who i like and that's it you know yeah like what's your type i yeah, like exactly. tall white tall white guys <laughs> yeah yeah and it's like well again who's um who conditioned you um how did the culture in which you were moving condition you to value those bodies 
Um, you know, um, and you see it in like dating apps, for example, like, you know, like take a moment to like, see like, who am I swiping right on? Who am I swiping left on routinely? And it's yeah. not to say that like, you know, like we're asking folks to, um, you know, like experiment with us, <laughs> you know, like we're not, we're not saying, I'm not saying that. Um, and, and I, I it's it's really to say like take a step back and and examine that you are part of us that you are participating in in stories and narratives that you don't necessarily um get to choose some of them are thrust upon us and you know um through our families through other relationships through um you know through our politics through um through the media and, and have you found that people can maybe change their desirability towards folks once they do this work, or is it more just increasing in in awareness? That's a really good question. Um, I there was a there was a episode of Invisibilia that basically treated this question, and um, and ultimately it was an experiment that failed spectacularly. Um, uh. You know, but like. Um, However, I, I think that I think that there's a lot that we can do when we break apart what we think we should know, um, what we should should know, what we ought yeah. to know, and and instead like examine like is this something that I want to be part of me, and in which case like there you can change. I think there there is opportunity for um for a shift for a shift yeah like i mean i think it all comes down to this question of yeah. like that's central to what we do as therapists like right is it possible to change what is right. change <laughs> or is it just acceptance of what yeah. is <laughs> or yeah. a combination of the two um i also like i don't know i'm just thinking of like it would be ideal if everyone on a dating app was like us in that they knew about politics of desirability yeah. and there's not a lot of people who do or are doing that work. And so how can trans and non-binary folks stay resilient when working within this fucking system? Cause it's so hard and there's a lot of rejection or a lot of people just, um, you know, wanting to try something out or fetishizing, like mm -hmm. shoot, how do you find your people? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I will say T for T is where it's at. Um, uh, trans for trans. I mean, um, it's um, because then you really just don't have to fuck with dating while trans <laughs> at all. I know. And some, some folks, I think, feel like so limited in that. It's like, oh, I can only choose from this pool. And if, if they have their own like inner trans hatred towards the stuff they're working through, then it brings up a whole nother slew of stuff. Well, internalized transphobia is yeah. is yet another. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, <laughs> yes. um, or internalized homophobia. It's it's yeah. um, it's bringing back the you know the politics of desirability. It's exactly right. that. It's um, it's society's judgments masquerading if as if they originate in us, and right. they become the tool, and so that we are. Act deployed as the tools of our own erasure, and that um, that Oof, is I that's think deep. We are employed as the tools of our own erasure. Oof. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's that's how you know internalized transphobia can work because it can then limit our erotic horizons in so many ways. It can limit, um, you know, who we find attractive. It can limit. Um, the ways that we find ourselves attractive um, right. and that we are able to see ourselves as sexual beings, as, as fuckable um, in all the, those yummy ways that we all are. Um, you know, I mean, I think that was one of the, the questions that bedeviled the, the early part of my transition, certainly, you know, is like, am, will I be fuckable? Will I, you know, um, you know, will people date me? Of course, I'm doing just fine. <laughs> um, you know, but I found my people. And, you know, part of that was like, um, 
really um, understanding like where are the red flags that I need to look for. There's certain language on dating apps that like I immediately um, that I mean, it was like, oh, nope. Um, they are not oh, going anything, to get it. Anything in particular to oh, put on our red like, flag list? Um, when somebody refers to um, women as females, um, that's, that's <laughs> the thing. Um, there's also this really awful phenomenon um, in, um, in, I think, cishet um dating which is like there's this label super straight which is um which is starting to pop up in certain sectors and and um you know we in the in the queer community and particularly um you know have have similar um awful toxic scripts like um you know the very notion of a gold star lesbian is is um so very um transphobic at its core um, yeah. And the, for people who don't know what that means, it means a lesbian who has um, only hooked up with women. Only hooked up with and never women. And never fucked a man or whatever, right? And never fucked a penis mm-hmm. in particular. Right. But I'm saying, I think, I don't even think people who say Gold Star would say fucked a penis. They would say fuck a man, right? And then there's all these, like yeah. you said, these narratives around that. Yeah. Like who, okay, well, when you say man or when you say right. woman, what is your image of that? Right. Of those exactly. folks. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that I just, um, whereas like green flags are like, if I see somebody describe themselves as, um, you know, if they're cis, a a cis woman, or if I see their pronouns in there, even if they're cis, you know, like I, I, it's a green, um, it's a green light for me. Also things like, you know, um, I find that, Labels like bisexual, pansexual, queer tend to um, tend to be signals that you know I can I can read further in on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. um, but uh, which is not to say that like I mean I identify um, I, I mean I'm a dyke I'm a leather dyke um, you know like being being a lesbian is core to you know my um, my beings but yeah like um there's i've certainly had dating experiences with um queer cis women where um where i just felt like oh you are not bringing us a, a good energy and intention to my body you are seeing me as you're not seeing me as or you're not seeing all parts of me mm-hmm. as um as you know, the femme I am. Yeah, totally. Let's take a quick pause so you can get those advertiser discounts. Remember, you do not need to leave the house to have fun with yourself or a partner this weekend. And remember, lube is your best friend. It is the key to maximizing pleasure, whether alone or with a partner. If you're going to lubricate, you want to make sure it's done with the highest quality, body-safe ingredients. And in that case, nothing beats Uber Lube. Right now, they're offering listeners a special 10% off and free shipping when you use my code S&S at uberlube.com. That's 10% off and free shipping. Just use code S&S at uberlube.com. And it's not just for genital stimulation. Remember, it's also great for massages, frizzy hair, pretty much anything you want it to be. It's just really simple ingredients. Just make sure you check if it's compatible with the condom or toy you may want to use. For sensitive folks, it's great because it's also unscented with no flavor and has vitamin E, so it's free from all nasty additives like parabens, preservatives, and petrochemicals. Also, it doesn't stain your sheets, so keep putting that laundry off. And again, they are offering you, dear listeners, 10% off and free shipping when you use my code S&S at uberlube.com. That's 10% off and free shipping. Just use code uberlube.com and make sure you get it before the summer because this is the last episode of the season. And while you're enjoying Uberlube, 
please take a listen to Dipsy, an audio app for sexy stories and more. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S&S. Remember, the more you support our sponsors, the more it supports the podcast. Also, I personally love and use all of the products from the sponsors, so Dipsy is this really awesome audio app full of short, sexy stories and guided sessions designed to turn you on. It's great to listen to solo or with a partner. Whatever your fantasy, Dipsy probably has a story for you. If you're like many of us and need or want a little audio stimulation to open yourself up, then check out Dipsy right now. They have new stories each week, and there's pretty much something for everybody. So again, check out that 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash S&S, D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash S-A-N-D-S. Now, back to the episode. And obviously, they have some listeners across the gender spectrum. Um, For cisgendered folks or practitioners who are listening in, um, what can they take away from this book or erotic embodiments of trans individuals? Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for asking that, because I I think, you know, the book, you know, in the subtitle, it's, you know, clinical approaches, which, you know, seems to indicate, you know, that it's for clinicians only. It's it's not, it's written certainly in that language. And um, also like, it's a book that was written for trans folks and non-binary folks and gender expansive folks um, writ large. However, um, the move there is not to exclude cis folks, it's to say that they're just not the starting point um, as they are as cishet folks are, as white cishet folks, thin folks, um, younger folks are typically the starting point in, in, you know, sex research and sex education in kind of in our images. So it's really saying we need to flip the script and we need to start from the trans up, which is to say, and what you, what happens when you do that is that you realize that cis folks are just as harmed by um, by these cultural scripts as trans folks do, uh, as as trans folks are, um, because I mean, you know, I, I I think about you know just the ways that, for example, the um, the way that sexual function is talked about in the DSM-5 and how so much of our work as uh, sexuality professionals seems to be, you know, geared around like these things like erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation or, um, or, um, you know, um, delayed orgasm or, you know, or inability to experience orgasm as if like, as if, that's the only way to experience pleasure in the body, you know, is through genital sex, through penetrative sex. Um, And so when you break that apart and you recognize that all of our bodies, bodies, cis and trans are all multi-orgasmic, magical, polymorphously perverse playgrounds of wonder, all parts of our body are are capable of being erogenous zones. All parts of our bodies are, um, you know, capable of being um, played with and enjoyed. And um, and you know, certainly, kink and tantric practices point to point to this already in the ways that, like, so much of what we do in kink doesn't have anything to do with genitals or any kind of genitals touch or sex. Yeah. Or if it does, it's not so much the focus. Necess- yeah. It's not the focus. Like, I mean, gosh, like if you've ever been in a really capable boot black stand, Oh my God. I mean, that is an erotic <laughs> okay, experience. And for people, for people who don't know what that is, what is a boot black stand and oh, what would be a capable, a capable boot black stand? Oh, I mean, like at a at a dungeon or in a play space where there is like a where there's a designated boot black, you know. And by the way, tip your boot blacks a lot. But they 
you know, they will care for your leather while you're sitting in their chair. And, and it's not just like a shoe shine. It's like, it's a, it's a whole experience. I mean, you know, and, <laughs> and, it, and it depends on like the person and it depends on the dynamic and, I wish you could. I wish you could see Lucy as she's describing it. Because when you're like, it's a whole experience. I like see the. I see the excitement of like you know wanting of loving that time. <laughs> oh gosh, and I miss it so much. Like, um, oh god. Um, well, that seems like a thing you can do at a dis a little distance, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think it's it's that I miss it in so far as, um. I miss it in the context of play spaces and play parties yeah. and those kind of things. And, totally. um, but I, um, but you know, one of the things that I do for, um, you know, self-care during the pandemic is, is care for my own leather. Um, you know, and it's like, there's something so wonderful about decompressing at the end of the day and just like running conditioner, um, over like my harnesses or, you know, over like certain leather, other leather pieces. And yeah. So like it can be an intensely sensual experience, um, you know, and that has nothing necessarily to do with genitals, although you can, you know, play with them while you <laughs> Yeah. Are. You can, fu you can fuck your leather if you want. Yeah, and you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, that's what I want cis folks to get out of it is that there are, uh, and cis clinicians, that there's so much out there that we're missing out in our bodies when we're just thinking of sex in these very narrow terms or when we're just seeking the big O instead of orgasm, instead of, you know, like thinking about the pleasure that you experience along the way, um, all of the detours and uh, the ways that, you know, you can have such an amazing time and never, never quite, you know, get to an orgasm. And that can be okay. Um, you know, it, it may be ideal, but like, um, you know, for some of us, like, an orgasm doesn't have to feel a particular way and it doesn't have to come at a particular time um, or, or look a particular way. And I know we can't control what people are going to take from this book, but yeah. what is your hope of what folks will maybe walk away with, like some, some key important themes? Well, I think first off is that your body is magical, that they're, um, and how can you come into passionate relationship with your body, with your partner's body? How, what happens when you approach your body and partner's bodies from a beginner's mind, where you start from like, I don't know where this, what this is, um, you know, and, and so like you get to have all these yummy conversations with partners before you get to have all these yummy check-ins about like what feels good, what kind of adjustments you might like, you know, using the appreciation sandwich, for example. Um, and How you call it the appreciate, I call it the shit sandwich. Is that like say the nice thing and then the hard thing and then the nice thing? <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's Liana Silver who, who came up with, with that term. Um, but it's the appreciation sandwich is, um, is basically yeah it's it's appreciation adjustment appreciation i um, really like that form better than the shit sandwich it's, yeah. it's a, a good reframe <laughs> i mean i don't know you you know um um sometimes shit can be fun um <laughs> not for me but you know for others um so never gonna yuck anybody's yum um but um but the the um yeah, like the appreciation sandwich is like, you know, um, ooh, um, you know th what you were doing before to my nipples? Can you can you do that again? They do it and then it's, oh, thank you so much. That's that's awesome. Or maybe your uh, second appreciation is just simply a moan. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, so that's, you know, we're missing out on all of these conversations if we're not approaching one another and ourselves from a beginner's mind 
So what opens up in our bodies? What opens up in our sexualities and our eroticism? Um, I also I like I like this term of the be- the beginner's mind, but I'm I'm thinking back to I think one part of the book where you talk about like um, I don't know if the word you use is curious, but like maybe people being being curious um, in some way, and so I, I often encourage my clients to be curious about themselves, about partners, to kind of come at things from a sense of of curiosity, of creativity, and it sounds like there's maybe a level at which sometimes curious can be oppressive. Yes. Um, can you tell me about that line? Yeah. So um, what you're referring to is is a um, is a concept I call ethical curiosity, and it's in response to this idea that I think we have, and especially therapists do, you know, because we we format so many of our interventions with "I'm curious." Would you? Yeah. Blah blah blah. <laughs> and um, and so we tend to view curiosity as this virtue, as a, as a value, um, to cultivate. Um, but we don't often consider how our curiosity impacts the, the, um, the objects of our curiosity. And so uh, ethical curiosity is that step back to, um, and, and it's really steeped in this idea of like, how can I dismantle my entitlement to know something? Um, because curiosity is unethical to my mind if it is steeped in an entitlement to know. Mm, like there's a huge difference between saying like, tell me how you want me to refer to your, your genitals versus like, so do you have a vagina or what? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, well, totally. And that's, that's the thing. And it's also so contextual because like, if I've been, if I've been cruising someone and, you know, and, um, and we decide that we want to go back to, you know, their place, my place, you know, like, I want to make sure that like, I mean, we're definitely going to have a conversation about parts and like how we want, what parts we want interacted with, what names do we want to use with our various parts and, you know, what kinds of uh, parts would we want to avoid? What names would we want to avoid? What energies would we want to avoid um, or, or cultivate? Um, I like, you know, Princess Kali's term, the, the kernel kink, you know, what is the, what is the, the, the energy and intention or the emotional feeling tones that you want running through the activity, which is, I think, so important in negotiation. Yeah. And so that's all things that, that we can be curious about because, or that we can talk about in that context of like, um, I'm attracted to you, you're attracted to me, let's see if if we want to make some play come out of this. Yeah. And I wish that was a conversation that more non-queer, non-kink people did because there, there's so much expansiveness for the pleasure you can have when you have those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I've um, had the pleasure of of teaching sexual communication at uh, colleges for like sex week, I, I invariably get this question and it's invariably from a, a cishet woman who will say, you know, so what if my boyfriend gets angry when I try to negotiate with him? And I'm always like universally like dump the fucker. Dump it. Um, yeah. <laughs> get the fuck out of there. Right. But it's such a it's such a female centric stereotypical narrative to be the hostess, right? And mm-hmm. so instead of like dump him, it's like, well, what can I do to make it better, to make him feel more comfortable, to cater to him? You know, this is a one of the stories that we live with. Yes. And and this is where I think something like um, another concept I, I talk about in the book, intimate justice comes to mind, which is this idea that we are entitled to pleasure and to desire. And yeah one of the things that like internalized transphobia does one of the ways that it works on us um those narratives work on us is that it convinces us that our pleasure is not as important or our desires aren't as important or are not um are not good or shameful and yeah. so um 
you know, are that we should be pleasers. We that's that's our roles, and um, and that's just you know to break out of that is is really the work to be done, and that's another takeaway, you know, that I really want folks to to get is. You thank are, you for looping. Thank you for looping yeah. back to that. I was about to be like, thanks for going on that tangent. Remember, come back to the takeaways, but you did it for me so beautifully. Yeah. So yes, another takeaway. <gasps> another takeaway is, is really that you are entitled to your pleasure. You are entitled to desire. Your desires, probably normal. Like, you know, or fuck the probably. They're normal. Like, there are thousands of people, if not millions of people who share that desire. And there's no desire uh, that needs to be mapped on particular genitals or sex toys or acts, um, you know, that, that, um, you know, that says like, that only certain genders can, um, or certain expressions of gender can, um, can experience this or should experience this. Yeah. Because that, that could be a place where, where we can often get in trouble, whether we're cis or trans, um, is, is that belief like, Oh God, is, is, is this something that I should want? Should I, um, is it right for me to want to be dominant in this situation or is that something that is not expected of me like i've been told throughout my entire life that dominant is for um dominant energies or toppy energies which don't have to go together by the way in queer kink you know dominance can be bottoms and submissives can be tops um you know so like um all of these things can be exploded and we can um you know just um, what I what I would specify in terms of entitlement to pleasure and to z- desire is, of course, to say just because you were entitled to pleasure and desire does not mean you were entitled to pleasure and desire from a particular person at a particular time. Um, but yeah, we're are, not promoting being an incel. <laughs> oh yeah, no, 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 no. no. Um, but it does mean that your that your pleasure, your sexual liberation, your erotic liberation is, is important. And, um, and that, um, your desires and pleasures are beautiful and need to be part of the conversation. How do we make this, um, required reading <laughs> for, for clinicians, for doctors? Cause this is so not a part of mainstream therapy school and classes. Um, and it's so, I mean, this book is, is crucial. Well, it certainly wasn't a part of mine. Um, and you know, and I think, um, so much of this book was written in response to that, um, to those experiences to, um, you know, so much of it is written out of rage and anger and disappointment um, and not and and at the 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 systems that that keep us all down and and so like I would love to see for example counseling programs all counseling programs having a human sexuality component in California it's mandated as like I think a at least a once one credit course yeah it's like a small class that's pretty broad and like very vague so fucking vague and that's something that i think it's important for clients to know is that so many of the clinicians out there don't have any kind of training in sex and eroticism and embodiment and so how do we get in the hands god you know make it required reading I would love that on on so many levels. I will um, be teaching next year as part of a a sex therapy program. And I'm really excited to learn that that my book is is going to be part of that that program's curriculum. Awesome. Not not because I think my book is the be-all, end-all. In fact, it's not. It's distilling a lot of conversations that were already happening in community what I hope is that it's an opening onto a conversation. So I would say the third takeaway is this 
my imagination, as expansive as it is, is still limited by my social location and by the particular time and place I, I am in. And so I expect and hope that others will find ways to take my work and take the work of others in, in some really cool ways that I can't possibly imagine. And I'm really excited to see that. I'm really excited to cheer those folks on. I'm really excited to be in conversation with them. And, and to the extent that they need my support and cheerleading, you got it. Email me, call me up. Let's talk. I want to make sure that your voice is heard if you're having trouble breaking through. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, man, we have so much more to cover, but we have to start wrapping up. So how can folks buy this book, check this out? Who is, you know, who is it for? Um, and, and how can people get in touch? So um, first of all, be- before we close, I, I think I just want to, um, to thank you for this experience. And thank you for the first experience I had on the, the podcast. Um, I write my book so often in conversation with folks. And one of the things that I've been really yearning to, to tell you, um, and, and you're in the acknowledgements for this, for this reason, um, you know, is that the conversations that I have with folks, like um, the work is iterative. And so like you asked a question um, in that first interview that, that stumped me at the time. And that's a good thing because it then had me thinking about, okay, how can I answer that satisfactorily? So I, I really just want to thank you uh, from the oh. bottom of my heart for, for, um, for those kinds of conversations that make the work stronger. Um, it's well, oh, I don't know if I'm just vulnerable on a Monday, but you're making me cry, Lucy. <laughs> Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I'm honored to. I mean, I I don't feel like I did much, but if a question gave you some, uh, you know, creative things to do with that, I'm I'm honored to be a part of such a groundbreaking book. Well, thank you, thank you, and and uh, and yes, indeed, you were. Um, and um, you know, um, so were so many conversations that I had with folks along the way, and folks, you know, um, conversations that I'm continuing to have as I as I um, lead workshops on this topic, you know, because people are, have really good questions. And sometimes those take the form of really loving call-ins. And so like, um, you know, um, it, all of that is, is an act of love that makes the work stronger ultimately. Um, So. Well, thank um, you. I'm so excited for you. And I, I appreciate that. Um, but in terms of how to buy the book, um, at your um, support, your local bookstores, um, certainly you can get it directly from um, Routledge. Um, if you do that, um, please use the uh, promotion code AET21 uh, for 20% off list. Um, like, um, uh, I, I want folks reading it, and I know that books are expensive. Um, the, um, but, you know, bookshop.org also carries it and, and and I'd love to see it carried in, in bookshops. Um, um, I hope you're listening Kramer books in DC, please carry my book. Um, <laughs> okay. Everyone send an email to Kramer books in DC and tell them that you need to pick this book up there. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, so, um, uh, but in terms of how to reach me, my website, lucyfielding.com, I'm on Instagram pretty actively at Lucy Fielding. And um, I'm on Twitter, but um, I'm much more um, visual person. And so like, I'm, I tend to be on, on Instagram more. And it, it sounds like this book can be for all human beings. Yes. But is there any specific, you know, folks who might get something out of it? Like, I'm, I'm just thinking maybe parents also of trans and, and non-binary kids, yeah. this could be really helpful for. Yeah, I mean, I don't really talk about youth sexuality in it Mm -hmm. and and certainly um you know i we don't have time to go into it but you know certainly with all of the um anti-trans legislation going on there are a lot of um parents and trans kids who are freaking out right now and you know and are looking for resources um and i i hope this book can be one of many that can at least point towards 
a future where, you know, like your body will be celebrated. Um, your body w is magical. It's already magical. Um, and so, um, but um, I intended it for providers. Um, and I mean that very expansively to include, um, to include mental health and medical folks, but also pelvic floor PTs and sexological body workers and surrogate partner therapists and professional dominance and ancestral healers. So like um, in chapter six, a bunch of other trans non-binary and gender expansive providers from different professional locations, um, you know, contribute some really beautiful um, uh, pieces to the book and point towards like how you might be able to uh, incorporate this work into um, into your own practice if if you have a practice. Um, and uh, but otherwise, like I would also hope that just like trans and non-binary folks can um, can pick it up themselves. I, I tried to write it in such oh, a way. It's, a, it's an easy read is, I mean, look, that's subjective, but like it was, it was so clear and direct. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I mean, that's, um, that, that means a lot to hear. Um, accessibility was something that was really important to me. And I know that I'm a theory head and that I, uh, that I speak in queer theory sometimes, but, um, but like, um, but um, yeah, I, I ultimately, you know, when you answer the question of like, who is this for? The, the wonderful question that Betty Martin asks, um, it's, it's for trans and non-binary folks. You know, it's, it's for us um, because um, we need to be able to see ourselves in the sex education that, that is being um, put out in books, in research, in in um, in in our sex education curricula. Um, so, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lucy, and I am so glad that you are trying to help other people feel magical and be magical and embrace their magicness because you you are magical. And I'm so glad to have you back. Everyone, check out Transsex. Um, and again, if you want to follow what I'm doing at Sluts and Scholars, I'm on Instagram for who knows how long at Sluts and Scholars, <laughs> on Twitter at Sluts Scholars, and you know, listen anywhere you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to rate and review um, and check out the advertisers. It's super helpful. But thank you all so much for listening in and talk to you next week.